It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. This is the hour of doom and bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Podcast, a moment of morality in an imperious world. With your host, Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones getting older every day. Haven't been able to stop that process. <laughs> well, I hope you don't stop the process. <laughs> oh, really? You like me old, huh? Well, you know what it means when you stop aging. Oh, whoa. Oh. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I get it. That is bad. So we're going to just keep you aging, honey. Okay. I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together we are the reader's choice for both medical education and an entire line of the best health savings account eligible medical kits you'll find on the interweb. Hey, if you just returned from your five-year mission to go where no man has gone before, I shouldn't say no man, no one has gone before. That's right. You may have noticed we've changed our format. You're going to hear more frequent, shorter shows to go straight to the information you're looking for without a whole lot of housekeeping up front. Be forewarned that some of the stuff you hear on this show is going to be outside the conventional medical wisdom. Way outside. So we are warning you up front we do have active medical licenses, however, and we would like to keep them, so listen to this. All information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. We strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right. Don't listen to us for <laughs> anything, really. No, you should listen to us about some very, very important Medical stuff for long-term survival scenarios. In the news, health authorities in China are reporting 60 to 70 cases of a previously unknown viral pneumonia that has put dozens in the hospital. Officials note that the victims exhibit fever up to 105 degrees. Wow. Difficulty breathing and abnormal findings on chest x-ray. Well, nothing gets my attention like a mysterious, probably viral pneumonia that's showing up in some foreign land. You never want to see the words mysterious and pneumonia in the same sentence. In the last decade or so, we've seen SARS, that's Sudden Acute Respiratory Syndrome in Asia. In the Middle East, we've seen MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and both of them have entered the scene with epidemic-like community outbreaks. The current infection that they're seeing in China doesn't seem to be either of these, at least, and neither is it supposed to be avian flu, influenza, most bacteria, and a lot of other possible culprits. Now, a number of victims were found to have attended a seafood market in the area, so it might be some unknown bug that occurs in maybe contaminated seafood. Now, I just want people to know that the words influenza and pneumonia are not the same thing. The word pneumonia is defined as a lung inflammation usually caused by bacterial or viral infection. You notice I say a lung infection, not just a respiratory infection. A respiratory infection may affect the upper airways, which would be, I guess, a common cold or maybe strep throat, or it could be bronchitis, which can affect uh, the main trachea or laryngitis, maybe, things like that. But pneumonia specifically means that something is going on in the actual lung tissue itself. And it's important to know that inflammation of the lungs 
can happen as a result for other reasons other than infection. You might accidentally inhale food, drink, or vomit into the lungs. People that are on drugs a lot or people who drink a lot may actually do this, may die from this. Jim Morrison of the rock band, 60s rock band, The Doors, died exactly from this particular issue. This is called aspiration pneumonia, and that can be life-threatening. Pneumonia kills about 50,000 people annually in the United States. The funny thing is you don't hear about it because it happens just about every year. Most of these cases are in the elderly, the very, very young, or people who have weakened or poor immune systems. Influenza, although it can get you pretty darn sick, really doesn't have a major death rate, at least the influenzas we've seen recently, at least back to maybe 100 years ago with the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918 and 1919. And, well, I mean, that doesn't mean that influenza isn't very, very dangerous. It can be. This year's flu season is becoming one of the worst in recent memories, according to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We had a pretty serious viral outbreak back in 2017. This year, they think might actually be worse. Let's talk a little bit about how lungs work. I think it's important to know that. Your lungs are part of the respiratory system, and that's the part of the body that controls breathing. Inhaling fresh air brings oxygen to these tiny little air sacs that you have in the lungs called alveoli. The alveoli. Now, little blood vessels in the alveoli actually absorb oxygen from inhaled air, and they remove waste gases like carbon dioxide when you exhale. This vital process of oxygen in, carbon dioxide out, is called gas exchange. And anything that interferes with gas exchange can become very, very life-threatening. In pneumonia, the alveoli become infected. They fill with pus and inflammatory fluid, and that prevents the proper absorption of oxygen into the body. Milder cases of pneumonia may affect just a small section of the lung, but severe cases may affect the entirety of both lungs, what we commonly know as double pneumonia, what you hear, that although that is a pretty, I guess, just slang term, not really used a lot by medical folk. Pneumonia may also be primary, now that you will hear used by medical folk, that is, it's an occurrence that's in and of itself in an otherwise normal patient. So somebody who's otherwise healthy or you think is healthy shows up with pneumonia, that's a primary pneumonia. But pneumonia can also be and is most likely going to be secondary. That's in response to a weakened immune system due to other infections like influenza or things like heart disease, bad asthma, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD. We talked about that recently, or some other condition. People who have secondary pneumonia tend to have worsening shortness of breath, continued fever, or thicker mucus over the course of time despite the usual therapy. So if you have somebody with what you think is the flu, but they just tend to get worse over time instead of recovering over a period of one or two weeks, well, there you have it. That may indeed be a secondary pneumonia that occurred because you were weakened by the influenza. The symptoms of pneumonia include coughing that produces mucus, fever and chills, fast breathing and heart rate, shortness of breath, chest pain, exhaustion, and muscle aches. Some of these symptoms are similar to influenza, but the fact that you're just not getting better and actually getting worse, I think, is the tip-off. In some cases, victims experience a loss of appetite. They may have nausea and vomiting or even diarrhea, so it actually can go to the intestinal tract. 
Severe cases may cough up blood. That is called hemoptysis, H-E-M-O-P-T-Y-S-I-S. Or turn blue around the mouth. That's called cyanosis, C-Y-A-N-O-S-I-S. Cyanosis is a sign the body is not transporting enough oxygen to the tissues. Now, a lot of germs can cause pneumonia, including various types of viruses, bacteria, fungi, and parasites. So many microbes can cause pneumonia, as a matter of fact. It may take a while for the Chinese to discover what is the offending organism in this new outbreak, even with normal technology, modern medicine, and normal times. It's sometimes hard to figure out what's causing what. As the cause of the current group of cases is unknown, it's uncertain how this pneumonia spreads. If there's evidence that it can be transmitted from one human to another human, well, you've got the makings of a real epidemic. Health authorities usually slow to sound the alarm. They don't want to freak people out. And the Wuhan Municipal Health Commission states that no clear evidence exists of human-to-human transmission in this case. They don't rule out the possibility, however. And so basically, this is their hedge that they're saying, don't worry, but indeed, who knows whether it's going to be a major issue or not. To treat pneumonia, well... You can use antibiotics to treat bacterial pneumonia. Many cases are bacterial in origin. And the potential consequences are so dire, many doctors will use antibiotics despite the risk of antibiotic resistance due to overuse of antibiotics. Some of the effective drugs that you can find in a veterinary form include amoxicillin, fishmox, doxycycline, bird biotic, azithromycin, um, bird zithro, uh, cephalexin, uh, fish flex, erythromycin, fish mycin, ampicillin, fish psyllin, and fish sin, which is clindamycin. These are some antibiotics that you might use, but the truth is that most of the time they'll want to, at least in normal times, use IV fluids and IV antibiotics as opposed to these oral medicines. Still, they're better than nothing. By the way, all these medicines I'm mentioning have no beneficial effect on viral causes of pneumonia whatsoever. That's important. Now, you can get more information. We're not going to go into this today, but we have gone through it in previous shows. You'll find it in our book, Alms Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, The Layman's Guide. And you'll find it for free, obviously, in various articles over at doomandboom.net. So I have to let people know that for any antibiotic, there are antibiotic resistant bacteria and there are cases of antibiotic resistant bacteria reported for a number of the ones that i just listed still it's better than not having anything occasionally the organism that causes pneumonia could be a fungus and one of these is coxio coccidio rather mycosis coccidiomycosis that you know it probably if you live in the southwest as valley fever very common in the southwestern u.s arizona places like that and symptoms include a persistent cough fever, headaches, fatigue, shortness of breath, and it is endemic, that is, it is found all the time in southwestern United States. Now, the treatment for this is the oral antifungal drug, which came out just in the last year or two as a veterinary equivalent called fish flucon. It's called fluconazole, and fluconazole, the brand name is diflucan. You may have heard of that, but Instead of the dosage that they use for vaginal yeast infections, which I think is 100, maybe maximum of 200, and sometimes just the whole treatment is just one, one tablet, 
you have to take this for a number of a number of days, maybe a week or two, at 400 to 800 milligrams. But you can indeed find it as a veterinary equivalent. In cases of influenza, the administration of an antiviral medication such as also Tamivir or Tamiflu, and there are a couple others, there's uh, Zanamivir, <laughs> Relenza, or Biloxivir Marboxyl, or Zofluza, actually a brand new medicine that takes care of the whole situation in one day. Uh, these medicines will shorten the course of infection if you take them in the first 48 hours after symptoms appear. After the first 48 hours, you'll see a lot less of a medicinal effect. Now, these drugs, by the way, are not known to be effective against pneumonia caused by other viruses, however, other than the influenza virus. Other treatments involve alleviating the symptoms. Basically, you would take, let's say, Tylenol, acetaminophen, for fever, for example, cough suppressants, uh, although cough suppressants are not always helpful, coughing does help remove thick mucus. And in these situations, maybe you shouldn't suppress it so much unless it's so severe that it's causing you difficulty breathing, making you vomit, or preventing you from sleeping. Now, good respiratory hygiene, that's so important to prevent patients with respiratory infections like pneumonia from transmitting germs to others, especially if it's airborne. If you're the caregiver, what you need to do is always perform rigorous hand hygiene before and after contact. You want to wash any soiled hands with soap and water for a good 15 seconds, 20 seconds, or clean your hands with an alcohol-based hand sanitizer. You want to wash down all possible contaminated surfaces like kitchen counters, doorknobs with an appropriate disinfectant. Remember, these people that have been sick, they've been going around the house touching things, so you want to do your best to disinfect those areas. Even a dilute bleach solution, a 1 to 10 bleach solution would work just fine. Uh, you want to isolate individuals in a specific quarantine area. That's very important, especially those who have a high fever. You want to, if you're going to be dealing with people with a contagious disease, you want to wear gloves, a mask at all times when treating someone with a respiratory disease that can be passed from human to human. You want to make sure that you have all the antibiotics and all the medications that I mentioned, but in normal times, please seek modern standard medical care whenever it's available. Now, if you're the patient, you want to cover your mouth and your nose with tissues. You want to dispose of those tissues safely, have a specific place that you want to get rid of those. Use a mask if you're coughing or sneezing a lot, although your caregivers may wear masks. It's more important actually for you to wear it because you're the one shooting out all those uh, infectious air droplets with filled with bacteria or viruses, things like that. So that's actually important. In Asia, you'll see people do this a lot. They'll be wearing masks in the street a lot. It's actually considered to be a sign of social responsibility to wear a mask if you're sick. I guess something that's very important would be to keep the healthy people away from the sick people, keep the sick people in a situation where they'll have the best chance to recover. A nice room with Good lighting, good ventilation, that's important. You don't want to accumulate this concentration of bacteria in the air and this shut-in little tiny room. That's so important. Now, many people think they can avoid respiratory infections by staying inside out of the cold. That's not true. Actually, being in crowded, closed spaces increases the germ count in the air and therefore your chances of being infected. That's why more people wind up getting respiratory infections in the winter when they're spending more time indoors than in the summer. 
Some people do believe that vitamin C and zinc help prevent colds and flus. Indeed, there is evidence that they might decrease the duration of the illness, but don't really do anything apparently to prevent exposure to a virus or to a bacteria. So if you're traveling around and you're exposed to a virus or a bacteria, you indeed could get infected. You might wonder how to tell pneumonia on stethoscope exam. Pretty simple. You'll listen to the lungs and you'll be hearing sounds that sound a lot like Rice Krispies. They sound like Rice Krispies or they can sound like, let's say, paper being crinkled. Sort of like that. That actually would be one way to determine whether you're listening to some crackling in the lungs. That indeed is going to be a hint. So time will tell whether this new pneumonia in China is going to pan out to be a concern in the U.S. It doesn't look like it's killing anybody just yet, although it has probably a good dozen people in critical care. It's important to always recognize the signs and symptoms of pneumonia and other respiratory infections. Do all you can to prevent it, if at all possible. I want to talk a little bit about off-grid remedies for respiratory issues. There are a lot of the strategies and treatments that we talk about that deal with respiratory infections, pneumonia, things like that. They deal with them quite well. But what if modern pharmaceuticals are just not available or no longer produced because of some major catastrophe? Well, in that case, you're going to have to look to natural substances that might help alleviate the symptoms and strengthen the body's immune response. Also, any long-term situation, you have to realize that, well, maybe your medications are going to run out. So vitamin C, we just mentioned, vitamin E and other antioxidants, if you take the regular, you're supposed to help. So that's something. And like I said, some studies do confirm their usefulness. In some studies, though the amount of downtime in some studies is only maybe one day or two days, although better than nothing, I guess. So I certainly support making sure that you get lots of antioxidants so that your immune system is as strong as possible. Most other natural remedies are meant to target individual symptoms. Let's say nasal congestion, fever, things like that for respiratory infections. There are a number of alternative remedies that are supposed to stimulate the entire immune system. Essential oils like geranium, clove bud, tea tree, lavender, all of these are supposed to be good. To use these oils, you can use a procedure called direct inhalation therapy. What you do is you take two or three drops of, and put them on the palm of your hands and you warm the oil by rubbing your hands together. Then you bring your hands to your nose and mouth. You breathe three to five times slowly and deeply and then relax and breathe normally for a couple of minutes and repeat the process. Of course, wipe any excess oil onto your neck and chest and acts as a sort of a chest uh, salve. Many herbs can be helpful when you ingest them as a tea, and teas are probably going to be a lot easier to make than essential oils in times of trouble. If you wind up getting knocked off the grid, you can easily make a tea, but not so much an essential oil unless you have a distiller. Popular teas for general respiratory immune support are elderberry, echinacea, licorice roots, uh, golden seal, chamomile, peppermint, and ginseng. We actually have three or four of those teas in our, some of our larger medical bags. Still another option includes raw unprocessed honey, lemon, apple cider vinegar. Oftentimes these are added to the teas made of the stuff that I just mentioned to either flavor them better or to get more of an effect. 
And that's not all. From a bacterial standpoint, garlic and onion is known to have very good antibacterial action. Cinnamon also does, and also powdered cayenne pepper is supposed to be very good for that too. With viral pneumonias, of course, you're not going to have a cure, so you have to just deal with those symptoms. Now, for fever, I want you to consider, let's say you're off the grid, you don't have any aspirin or anything like that, or acetaminophen. The underbark of willow, poplar, and aspen trees are known to have a a substance called salicin. That's the essential ingredient in the first aspirins that were made way back in the 19th century. What you do is you strip off the outer bark, then take several strips of the green underbark and make a tea out of it. And it should work as aspirin does to decrease fever. The only issue is that, of course, you don't know exactly how much you're getting. Other strategies to combat fever include sponge baths with water and vinegar. In the same vein, a lot of people have used aerosol sort of spritzers that means you combine several drops of uh, lavender oil, thyme oil, chamomile oil, let's say, with water, and you spray it on the chest, back, arms, and legs. Don't spray the face. The cooling effect alone is going to be beneficial in people that have fever. To deal with congestion that occurs in respiratory infections, of course, pneumonia is much deeper than that, but other respiratory infections like colds and maybe influenza, you might consider using direct inhalation therapy, which we just talked about, or chest salves using eucalyptus oil, rosemary oil, thyme, pine oil, tea tree oil, peppermint oil, anise oil, anything that has a, a good, strong aroma. Another inhalation therapy of delivering these herbs, by the way, or even some traditional medicines involves the use of steam. Steam inhalation, very beneficial for a lot of respiratory ailments, easy to do. Just place a few drops of essential oil into steaming water and lower your face to inhale the vapors. Cover the back of your head with a towel to concentrate the steam. Herbal teas that relieve congestion include stinging nettle, licorice root, peppermint, anise, cayenne pepper, sage, dandelion. Wow, that's a big list. Mix with honey and drink three to four times a day as needed. Some people use fresh horse, horseradish to open airways. Uh, certainly, if you have ever taken in some horseradish, you certainly know that it clears the sinuses pretty well. And you would take maybe a quarter of a teaspoon of that orally, maybe three times a day. A lot of people use a neti pot. If you use correctly, it's really a good thing. Place sterile saline solution. Uh, of course, that comes also in a nasal spray. You can use that a lot of uh, not only alternative healers, but conventional doctors recommend that too. Be aware that if you don't assure the sterility of the stuff that you're putting into your system through the neti pot, you might cause a serious infection. I read about a couple of women who used contaminated water in their neti pot, got very ill. I think one of them died, as a matter of fact. For aches and pains due to colds, well, salves are the way to go. Essential oils of uh, uh, with Salves with essential oils of St. John's wort, eucalyptus, camphor, uh, lavender, peppermint, rosemary, arnica. Arnica especially, that really helps me, I think is uh, the ticket there. To relieve muscle aches that are in using a tea, you might consider passion flower, valerian root, willow, underbark tea, ginger, feverfew, rosemary. You want to drink that warm with raw honey three to four times a day. Of course, sore throats, uh, honey and garlic syrups are often used for that. Ginger, tilden flower, sage teas are used for that. You drink any warm tea with honey and maybe lemon several times a day, you probably feel better. Of course, gargling with warm salt water, that also brings relief. 
honey lozenges, licorice root lozenges, very popular to decrease painful swelling. Now, a study in Israel evaluated black elderberries, at least a substance in it, known as Sambacol, and it was shown that those people that were given it had substantially shorter periods of, let's say, flu symptoms and some other respiratory infections than those people that were given placebos. So it's supposed to be a strong antioxidant, strengthens the immune system, not known if it works with deeper infections like pneumonia, though. It's important to remember that the individual response to a particular herbal product does differ from person to person, and the herbal product differs based on a lot of factors during its growth. Rainfall, soil conditions, the time of your harvested, where it was grown. It is something that causes herbal products to differ a lot in their effects. Some people get a lot of effect from it. Some people don't get hardly any. And it's really the reason why a lot of pharmaceutical companies don't sell things like essential oils and, and other natural products because they can't standardize it in such a fashion that they can guarantee a particular dosage. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We thank you for listening to the Survival Medicine Podcast with old Dr. Bones and the lovely Nurse Amy. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.